0: It was snowing heavily in Moscow as Dr. Grigory Rodchenkov prepared to leave his house for the last time. He slipped out the front door and gripped his suitcase tightly, looking around to see if his security guard was stationed outside. When he saw he was in the clear, he took a deep breath and walked down the steps. He headed towards the front gate and away from his house, trying not to look
1: as terrified as he felt. The guard in question was one sent by the Russian government. Theoretically, he was there for Rodchenkov's protection, but the doctor sensed this was a lie. Rodchenkov was the leader of the Moscow Anti-Doping Laboratory, and he knew every tactic the doping program used to cheat the Olympics. He was dangerous to the Russian government, and they knew it. Rodchenkov walked through the front gate and down the street. A
0: block away from his house, He looked over his shoulder to make sure that nobody had followed him. All he had to do was get to the train station, then the airport, but his heart pounded in his chest. Anyone he passed could be an agent of the Russian government. And if they caught him trying to flee the country, they wouldn't hesitate to shoot.
1: Welcome to Sports Criminals, a ParCast original. Every week we dive into the dark side of sports history and look at athletes who not only broke the law, but broke the rules and covenants of their sport. We'll also uncover how their actions impacted the history of the sport they played. I'm Tim Johnson.
0: And I'm Carter Roy. This will be our final episode of Sports Criminals for now. Just like the athletes need a break in between seasons, we're taking a pause to rest, regroup, and re-strategize so we can return stronger than ever. We're grateful for all of our listeners that have cheered along as we've followed the rise and fall of some of the world's greatest athletes. From gambling and murder to sabotage and steroid abuse, we've shown that there's no better place for scandal than in the wide world
1: of sports. And though our show might be in between seasons, you will still be able to find all previous episodes of Sports Criminals and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Sports Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Sports Criminals in the search bar. Today, we're finishing our
0: discussion of the Russian doping scandal, a state-sponsored steroid program for Olympic athletes fueled by corruption and espionage.
1: Last week, we covered the formation of the program and how it led to unprecedented Olympic success. This week, we'll learn how the program was finally exposed and taken down for good. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
0: If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and
1: locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. The best of Easter begins with a full honey baked spread. It's the thing that brings flavor to all the fun and festivities. The bites that make all your guests grateful that Easter's here a little early this year. Enjoy the sweet and crunchy glaze of Honey Baked's Bone-In Half Ham, mouth-watering sides, and desserts. Mm. And make this year's Easter the best-tasting one yet. Cheers. Every bite is a celebration with the Honey Baked Ham Company. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off
0: March 16th on ION. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Take the shot, she scores! See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. The Olympic games aren't just about athletic achievement. They are a statement of geopolitical power and treated very seriously by the leadership of Russia. The Russian national team was essentially an arm of Putin's government, regulated and controlled by officials reporting directly to the president. Every athlete on the team competed not only for personal glory, but for the approval of Vladimir Putin himself. And if the Russian government told them to dope, then that's exactly what the athletes did.
1: One of the athletes involved was a woman named Yulia Rusanova, a track runner who specialized in the 800-meter sprint. She was determined to represent her country on a global level and took whatever her coaches suggested, including testosterone and anabolic steroids. After all, every other athlete she knew was doing it too. The doping helped Yulia's performance tremendously. After taking testosterone, her 800-meter sprint time dropped nearly five seconds. After anabolic steroids were introduced, her time dropped another five seconds. In 2008, the 21-year-old won the Russian title and earned a coveted spot on the country's national team. Yulia Rusanova
0: was then brought in to meet head doctor Sergei Portogolov. Portogolov's history with doping went all the way back to the Soviet Union era. He was often credited with being one of the original founders of the program. And with Portogolov's guidance and additional steroids, Yulia got stronger and faster.
1: In early 2009, Yulia competed at the Russian National Championships. But it was not just medals that she would take home. There, she met a young man named Vitali Stepanov. Vitali was an anti-doping officer for the Russian Anti-Doping Agency. But after a brief conversation, she gave him her email address. The two hit it off. A week later, they went on a date outside Moscow. Yulia casually mentioned how she and the rest of the national team took steroids, assuming that Vitali already knew about the conspiracy and cover-up.
0: But Vitali was a low-level employee of the agency and had no idea about the secret doping program. He was shocked and appalled by what Yulia said. He asked her to describe it further and she told him everything. At the end of their date, The two parted ways, believing they would never see each other again. Both agreed that a relationship between an anti doping officer and a steroid using athlete would never work out. But something just couldn't keep them apart. Two months after their first date, they got married.
1: Russian sports officials were obviously suspicious of Yulia and Vitaly Stepanov's marriage. And in 2010, their fears were proven correct. Vitaly Stepanov had been secretly communicating with the World Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA. He sent reports about the Russian national team and steroid use, an attempt to blow the whistle on his own agency's corruption. But WADA did nothing with Vitaly's reports. They had no interest in investigating one of the biggest Olympic countries, especially as Russia had just been named host of the 2014 games in Sochi. To them, Vitaly was just some disgruntled employee. But to Russian officials, Vitaly was a major threat.
0: Under the guise of bureaucratic restructuring, they fired him from his position at
1: the anti-doping agency. Meanwhile, Yulia suffered her own share of setbacks. She had been training and doping for the 2012 London Olympics, but her dreams were crushed when she suffered a thigh injury before the games, preventing her from competing. And in February of 2013, the International Association of Athletics Federations, the governing body for world track and field events, suddenly sanctioned Yulia for irregularities in her testing. She was banned from international competitions for two years.
0: The news was a shock to the system for Yulia Rusanova. now Stepanova. She felt betrayed. Portogolov and the Russian authorities had promised to protect her from doping tests. She realized how she'd been used, then dumped, and how wrong the doping program really was. And so she went to her husband. Both had been betrayed by a system they had once devoted themselves to. Now they wanted justice they were going to take the entire doping program
1: down. First, they needed evidence. Yulia scheduled a meeting with a Russian sports official, meant to lay out a plan for her to serve her suspension and then come back to competition. But of course, the official encouraged Yulia to continue steroid use. That way, she'd work her way back to the national team in time for the 2016 Olympics in Rio. Yulia recorded the entire conversation on her phone. The takedown had begun.
0: Soon after, Yulia Stepanova wrote a lengthy letter to the World Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA, laying out everything she knew about the Russian state-sponsored doping program. She mentioned the drugs, the methods, and even the support from coaches and government officials. But just like all of her husband's communications over the years, WADA ignored it. For some reason, they weren't interested in probing Russian doping. Perhaps because they didn't want to risk proving their own inadequacy as a regulatory organization. Or maybe they were scared of Vladimir Putin. Whatever the reason, Yulia and Vitaly now knew they couldn't rely on WADA or any international athletic organization to take their claims seriously and investigate their home country. They needed to go public.
1: Over the course of the next year, Yulia continued training. Each time she spoke to anyone involved in the doping operation, including fellow athletes she considered friends, she made sure to record the conversation. Meanwhile, Vitali reconnected with former co-workers, including Grigory Rodchenkov, head of the Moscow Anti-Doping Laboratory. He tried to document their conversation, but Rodchenkov remained disappointingly tight-lipped. In February
0: of 2014, Yulia and Vitaly watched the Russian team achieve historic victories in Sochi. Vladimir Putin's popularity in Russia spiked, moving from 53 percent to 83 percent. With the public behind him, Putin felt empowered to convert that Olympic momentum into
1: a geopolitical show of power. So on February 27th, four days after the closing ceremony of the Sochi Olympics, Russian soldiers entered Ukraine and began the invasion of Crimea. Yulia and Vitaly knew it was time to act.
0: Luckily, the Stepanov's came into contact with a German filmmaker, Hayo Zeppelt, who had already been looking into the rumors of Russian doping. Yulia gave Zeppelt everything she had. Her letter to WADA, the taped conversations, and even her own testimony. Near the end of 2014, Zeppelt finished the documentary and prepared to debut it on German television. The TV network insisted that Yulia and Vitali leave Russia. If they stayed, they would be in serious danger.
1: So a few days before the documentary aired, Yulia and Vitali Stepanov, along with their infant son, fled Russia. They left behind all of their family, friends, and nearly everything they owned to go into hiding in Germany. The documentary, entitled The Doping Secret, How Russia Makes Its Winners, aired on German television on December 3, 2014. Over the course of its 58-minute runtime, the documentary alleged that 99% of the athletes in Russia were on performance-enhancing drugs.
0: It sent shockwaves to the international athletic world. Both WADA and the International Association of Athletics Federations immediately put out statements confirming that they were investigating the allegations. Their reputation and the reputation of the Olympics as an institution was on the line. And for Vladimir Putin and the Russian sports ministry, it was a stunning and horrific surprise. The entire world knew that their Olympic success was built on a massive
1: lie. When we come back, Grigory Rodchenkov gets thrown under the bus. Cold and cough season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Now back to the story.
0: On December 3, 2014, a German documentary blew the whistle on the entire Russian Olympic team. Yulia Stepanova and her husband Vitaly, who were heavily featured in the documentary, were finally satisfied. The world knew that Russia's
1: many Olympic medals were obtained through illegal means. Meanwhile, Dr. Grigory Rodchenkov, director of the Moscow Anti-Doping Laboratory and the leader of the entire doping conspiracy, had a major problem. Now, WADA and the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, had no choice but to take the claim seriously. When WADA formed an independent commission to
0: investigate the Russians, Rochenkov knew his laboratory was about to go under a
1: microscope, and they wouldn't like what they found. On December 9, 2014, Wada sent a letter to Rodchenkov, telling him to hold on to all sealed samples in his lab to be tested later during their investigation. Wada had worked with Rodchenkov before, and despite the allegations, still believed him to be trustworthy. But he wasn't. Instead, he destroyed over 1,400 vials of doped-up urine, He also somehow allegedly managed to convince officials from the IOC in Switzerland to destroy their duplicates. The official Russian response to the whistleblowers was swift,
0: aimed primarily at discrediting the Stepanov's. Vladimir Putin personally called Yulia Stepanova a Judas, referencing the apostle who betrayed Jesus. Other athletes publicly referred to her as a traitor. On Russian TV, the couple were treated as villains. The couple had been hiding out in Germany, but still felt unsafe. Sometime after the airing of the documentary, they applied for political asylum and settled in a secret location in the United States. They knew that if they returned to Russia or revealed their location, they would be in great danger. But they believed that exposing the truth was completely worth it.
1: Over the course of 2015, the independent commission investigated Rodchenkov's lab, interviewing all of its employees and Rodchenkov himself. But Rodchenkov was entirely uncooperative with the commission's investigators, refusing to give them any information that would corroborate Yulia Stepanova's claims. He hoped that the destruction of
0: samples would be enough to prevent them from proving anything concrete. And if all else failed, he assumed he had the support of the Russian government, Presumably, Putin would protect him in his lab. Rodchenkov tried to continue on with his life, acting as if everything was normal. Then, through an old colleague at the UCLA anti-doping lab, Rodchenkov came into contact with an American filmmaker named Brian Fogel.
1: Fogel wanted his help making a documentary about doping and was hoping to experiment with taking steroids himself. Rodchenkov, perhaps needing a distraction, happily agreed to help.
0: Rochenkov helped Vogel create his own drug regimen and taught him how to avoid a positive test. In May of 2015, Rochenkov even flew to Los Angeles to help him with the documentary.
1: The two quickly became friends and planned to meet again in September. On November 9, 2015, WADA's independent commission completed its investigation and released its report. The commission confirmed that there was widespread and systemic steroid use among athletes on the Russian national team, and concluded that the Russian government must have been aware and involved with the entire doping conspiracy. The allegations made by Yulia Stepanova were accurate. The commission recommended lifetime bans for 10 athletes and coaches, as well as the suspension of the entire Russian national team from the Olympics and any other international competition. The punishment would be lifted only once Russia proved they had made serious efforts to improve their anti-doping system.
0: They also uncovered the destroyed samples, so they recommended that the Moscow Anti-Doping Laboratory be stripped of its accreditation, and its director, Grigory Rodchenkov, fired. On November 13, 2005, the International Association of Athletics Federations voted overwhelmingly, 22 to one, to suspend the Russian Federation from all competitions
1: any hopes that Rodchenkov had for surviving the investigation professionally or otherwise evaporated. The day after the report was released, WADA followed through on its commission's recommendations and Rodchenkov's lab was discredited. Meanwhile, Russia remained defiant. Vladimir Putin's spokesman declared that the commission's accusations were groundless, but still Rodchenkov finally resigned as director of the Moscow Anti-Doping Laboratory
0: his world was collapsing around him. Rodchenkov wasn't just a suspect in Wada's investigation. He was now the face of the entire scandal, named 98 times in the official report. And it was becoming increasingly clear that Putin and the Russian government would not protect him from media scrutiny or consequences on the international stage. Over the next few days, Rochenkov and his wife remained in their house, hidden from dozens of reporters outside. He contemplated his next move, knowing that his own government was likely to make him a scapegoat for the entire operation. And remembering his arrest during his power struggle with former coach Sergei Portogalov, he feared he would soon be removed from the picture entirely, arrested, silenced, or dead.
1: On November 14th, a pair of guards appeared at Rodchenkov's home, claiming they were there to protect him from the reporters outside his gates. It was the first major signal to Rodchenkov that he was in serious danger. He knew the guards had been sent there by the Russian government, not to help him, but in case Rodchenkov had to be quietly eliminated.
0: The next day, Rodchenkov received a phone call from a friend inside the Russian government. The friend told him that the government was preparing for Rodchenkov's suicide. Rodchenkov made a panicked video call to the only person he believed would help him, American filmmaker Brian Fogel. He told Fogel he needed to get out and
1: get to Los Angeles. Fogel managed to buy Rodchenko a plane ticket to Los Angeles, and Rodchenko planned his escape. He destroyed his work computer, but took the hard drive with all his files with him. His wife and children decided to stay behind. It was partially for their own safety. If they were caught fleeing with him, they'd face consequences. This would also help Rodchenkov get to America more safely. The government was less likely to believe that Rodchenkov was fleeing if his family wasn't going with him.
0: On November 17, 2015, Rochenkov left his house under the cover of night. There was a real possibility that the government knew his plan. They had been surveilling all his calls. If they believed he was truly fleeing, they'd have no
1: problems arresting and detaining him. But Rodchenkov got lucky. The guards didn't follow him, the Russian police didn't stop him, and he made it to the airport without incident. As the plane took off, Grigory Rodchenkov looked out the
0: window and knew that he was likely seeing Russia for the very last time. 12 hours later, Rochenkov arrived safely in Los Angeles and reunited with Brian Fogel. He had made it to the other side of the world, but the scandal was far from over. The Russian government was just beginning their attempt to cover it up.
1: After Rochenkov fled to the United States, Putin announced an internal investigation of the doping allegations and pledged to hold guilty parties responsible for any wrongdoing. The 2016 Rio Olympics were just around the corner, and Russia's reputations in the sports and political worlds were on the line. In the weeks following Rodchenkov's escape, Nikita Kamaev, director of the Russian anti-doping agency and close friend of Grigory Rodchenkov, resigned from his position. Not knowing what to do next, he decided to write a tell-all memoir describing everything he'd seen and done in his decades inside the Russian sporting world.
0: But on February 14, 2016, 52-year-old Kamaev died under mysterious circumstances. The Russian anti-doping agency reported that Kamaev's death was due to a sudden and massive heart attack in Los Angeles. Grigory Rodchenkov was devastated by the news of Kamaev's death. He knew that it wasn't due to natural causes. Kamaev was healthy and had no history of heart problems. It was far more likely that the Russian government had killed him because he had said too much. And if Rodchenkov wasn't careful, he'd be next.
1: Coming up, the doping scandal reaches a boiling point, and Rodchenkov fights to survive. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets
0: everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach, with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com/slash
1: AI for all. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. The worst worst worst. Worst. <laughs> we're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on Vandor. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the film. It
0: go down. It go down. In November of 2015, Grigory Rodchenkov, one of the main operators of the Russian state-sponsored doping conspiracy, fled Russia. Fearing for his life, he escaped to Los Angeles, where he laid low in a rented apartment by the beach. He'd left everything, including his wife and children, behind in Moscow. But back in Russia, two others involved in the doping scandal, including one of his oldest friends, died under mysterious circumstances. Though he was presumably safe in Los Angeles, he remained fearful that the Russian government would find him.
1: One evening, just after midnight, he saw two strange men loitering in the courtyard outside his apartment. Ruchenkov told himself he was being paranoid and tried to ignore them. But then the men knocked right on his door.
0: They said they were Americans, and they knew who Rochenkov was. He was terrified, but allowed them in, making small talk about the Olympics and Nikita Kamaev's death. Rochenkov tried to speak as little as possible, still worried that they were Russian agents there to kill him. Finally, the men handed Rochenkov an envelope and revealed that they were from the FBI. Inside was a letter from the U.S. federal government, summoning Rodchenkov to New York to testify in front of a grand jury. The bureau was launching an official investigation of the Russian government. They weren't Russian agents, as Rodchenkov had feared. But the reality wasn't much
1: better. For Rodchenkov, traveling to New York and testifying in front of a grand jury was a huge risk. It put an even bigger target on his back for Putin and the Russian government. There was also a possibility that the United States would arrest Rodchenkov themselves and send him back to Russia to be dealt with. He
0: saw only one way to protect himself, and that was to go public with everything he knew, not just about the doping of athletes, but about how the Russian
1: government was actively involved. Through his American friend, Brian Fogel, Rodchenkov got into contact with a New York Times reporter and sat down for a series of interviews. Rodchenkov told the reporter everything. How the doping program operated, how he covered up the athletes' positive tests, how the barrack kits were unlocked by FSB officers, and how the entire conspiracy was run by Vladimir Putin's lieutenants.
0: The article was published on May 12, 2016, and it was yet another bomb within the international sports world and the Russian government. It was one thing to know, as the Independent Commission had established, that there was widespread doping in Russia. What Rodchenkov revealed was another thing entirely, that the doping program was highly orchestrated by government officials under direct orders from Vladimir Putin himself.
1: In response to these new and even more explosive allegations, the World Anti-Doping Agency commissioned another independent report. This one was written by richard mclaren a member of the previous independent commission and a lawyer with extensive experience in steroids investigations two months later mclaren published the first part of his report he confirmed rodchenkov's allegations that the russian ministry of sport with help from the fsb spearheaded and actively participated in the doping operation He also wrote that the sample bottles from Sochi kept in storage showed signs of tampering, confirming Rodchenkov's allegations that the FSB had found a way to unlock the bottles. After publishing the report, WADA recommended that the International Olympic Committee ban Russia entirely from the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. Russia's
0: response remained the same. The government denied all allegations and called the whistleblowers lying traitors. In an official statement, Vladimir Putin called Rochenkov a man with a scandalous reputation and claimed that Wada's report was politically motivated. Putin also added a vague threat, suggesting that the entire Olympics could face a split over the
1: doping allegations. The International Olympic Committee, possibly concerned by Putin's threat, chose not to ban Russia from the Olympics. Instead, Thomas Bach, president of the IOC, announced that they would deal with athletes on an individual level instead of punishing an entire country. They began retesting samples from previous Olympics, retroactively stripping the medals from any athletes who tested positive or whose samples showed signs of tampering.
0: One of those athletes was Yulia Stepanova, one of the scandal's earliest whistleblowers. Since fleeing to the United States in 2014, she'd continued to train for Rio and hoped to get her chance to compete as an independent athlete. So despite her past steroid usage, she and her husband, Vitaly, lobbied the IOC to allow her to run in the Olympics.
1: But the IOC ignored her. On July 24th, the IOC announced that they would prevent all Russian athletes who'd been previously suspended for doping from competing in the 2016 Olympics. That included 111 of the 389 members of the Russian national team and Yulia Stepanova. The governing body for track and field upheld its ban on all Russian athletes from international competition, preventing the team from competing in Rio. Anti-doping agencies from everywhere except Russia applauded the decision.
0: But Wada put out a statement expressing disappointment in the IOC's decisions. They specifically worried that the decision to bar Stepanova from competing would prevent future whistleblowers from coming forward.
1: While the investigations into doping continued, the show went on in Rio. Despite losing nearly 30% of their athletes to doping bans, The Russian Federation still performed well. Russia collected 56 total medals and 19 golds, ranking fourth in the world.
0: Meanwhile, the Russian government went to war with Grigory Rochenkov. The police opened criminal proceedings against him in Moscow, and then went after his family. They interrogated Rochenkov's wife, children, and sister, confiscated all of their passports, and refused to let them leave the country. Back in the United States, Rochenkov realized the only way to stay safe was to enter into the Federal Witness Protection Program. So in mid-2016, Rochenkov told his wife and family of his decision, said goodbye to his American friends,
1: and disappeared into protective custody. On December 9, 2016, Independent Commission leader Richard McLaren published the second part of his report. He expanded on his previous findings, reporting that the Russian Federation's doping and sample swapping system went far beyond just the 2014 Olympics and involved over 1,000 athletes from winter, summer, and Paralympic Games.
0: The Russian government escalated their war on Rochenkov and claimed that any and all doping programs were as a result of him. They said that his resignation meant the country had done everything they could to fight doping. The other sports authorities of the world, including WADA, yet again called for Russia to be banned from the Olympics, but the IOC still wasn't ready to make any move against Vladimir Putin.
1: Then, in January 2017, another whistleblower emerged. 27-year-old runner Andrei Dmitriev, a member of the Russian track and field team, gave an interview to the same German TV channel that produced the 2014 documentary with Yulia Stepanova. In his interview, Dmitriev alleged that despite Russia's claims to the contrary, the doping never stopped. To prove it, Dmitriev secretly filmed the track and field team's recent training sessions using a hidden camera. His footage showed that one of the suspended coaches continued to work with Russian athletes.
0: This only further fueled a war of words between Russia and the rest of the world. Shortly after Dmitriev's reveal, Brian Fogel's documentary titled Icarus premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. It was purchased and released by Netflix, putting an even greater spotlight on the Russian government. But the International Olympic Committee dug in their heels and still refused to announce any sanctions against Russia. Criticism of the IOC escalated. On September 14, 2017, the Institute of National Anti Doping Organizations published a harshly worded statement criticizing the IOC. Their refusal to punish Russia, they said, threatened the integrity of the entire institution of the Olympic Games. Pressure on the IOC reached a fever pitch when Grigory Rochenkov himself finally emerged from hiding. That same month, he published an op-ed in the New York Times urging the International Olympic Committee to do something about his home country.
1: Two months later, the IOC finally took action. The Oswald Commission announced the first new sanctions against Russian athletes since the scandal broke. They handed lifetime bans to 43 athletes for cheating in the Sochi Olympics. Then, on December 5th, 2017, the IOC suspended the entire Russian team from the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. While clean Russian athletes would be allowed to compete, they would play under a neutral Olympic flag and no Russian officials would be allowed to attend the games.
0: Russia reacted with fury and defiance. Putin accused the IOC of being part of an anti-Russian conspiracy of Western governments. Russian officials took aim at their main enemy, Grigory Rochenkov, the man Putin described as a turncoat. The president of the Russian Olympic Committee declared that Rochenkov should be handled the way Stalin dealt with those who committed crimes against the state, shot. And it wasn't an empty threat. In the United States, Russian agents were on the ground trying to make it happen. Rochenkov remained hidden in witness protection for his own
1: safety. At the Pyeongchang Games, 168 Russian athletes competed under a neutral flag, winning 17 medals and only two golds, 13th on the leaderboard. Two Russian athletes tested positive for doping during the competition.
0: But immediately after the Games in Pyeongchang, the IOC announced they were lifting the ban against the Russian national team. In September of 2018, WADA voted to reinstate the Russian Anti-Doping Agency as long as Russia granted WADA access to the Moscow lab once run by Grigory Rochenkov. In January 2019, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency, or RUSADA, allowed WADA access to the lab. It appeared that Russia was on their way back into the sporting world's good graces, though suspicion lingered.
1: By September, WADA discovered that the Moscow lab had manipulated the data they presented in order to be reinstated. The cycle had begun again. On December 9, 2019, WADA finally took matters into their own hands. Its executive committee voted unanimously to ban the Russian Federation from all major international competitions for four years. The ban included the postponed 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, as well as the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, and the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Putin and the Russian government appealed the decision. Rochenkov
0: remains in witness protection to this day, constantly on the move to keep his location secret. An armed guard protects him wherever he goes, and he hides his face as much as possible. His phone calls with his wife and children are kept short and light on details. They both know that the Russian government is listening. But he's still able to watch the Olympics.
1: Thanks again for listening to Sports Criminals. This is our last episode for a while as we're going on a hiatus. If you enjoy stories about the rise and fall of great power and popularity, be sure to check out our other show, Con Artists. And if you enjoyed this episode's discussion of government sponsored lies and secrets, be sure to listen to our history shows, Political Scandals, and Dictators on Spotify.
0: You can find all episodes of Sports Criminals and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Sports Criminals, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Sports Criminals on Spotify, just open the app and type Sports Criminals in the search bar.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Sports Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Sports Criminals was written by Ryan Lee, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Tim
1: Johnson and Carter Roy.